Frank Morelli, the first bassoonist awarded a Juilliard doctorate, has been a Carnegie Hall soloist nine times. He performed at the last White House state dinner for President Clinton and is co-principal bassoon of the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra. Faculty positions include Juilliard, Yale, Manhattan School of Music, SUNY Stony Brook and Queens College. His over 180 recordings include MSR classics, solo CDs from the heart, romance and caprice, bassoon brasileiro and baroque fireworks. Gramophone magazine proclaimed that Morelli's playing is a joy to behold. American Record Guide stated the bassoon playing is as good as it gets. Of his recent foray into the world of jazz on the Capri CD, the Oxmo incident with saxophonist Keith Oxman, JazzWeekly.com stated, Morelli makes the usually unwieldy bassoon work wonders and the team bobs with delight on a fun-filled survey with the fringe on top. Morelli glistens on the classical team Full Moon and Empty Arms and is elegiac on 3 for 5. The Office CD Shadow Dancers featuring Frank Morelli won a 2001 Grammy. He has performed or served as a juror at the most prestigious festivals worldwide. He is a member of Windscape, Quintet in Residence at MSM. He compiled the landmark excerpt book Stravinsky, Difficult Passages for Bursun, available on Bosnia and Hawks, and has published a numerous transcriptions on Trafco. His landmark edition of the first complete Weizenborn Method and Studies, Opus 8, Volumes 1 and 2, is now in print. He plays a light singer bassoon exclusively. And welcome back to Legends of Reed. My name is Joanne Sukumaran. I'm a bassoonist based in Singapore. And my next guest needs no introduction. I'm really very honoured to have with me today Mr. Frank Morelli. Welcome to the show, Mr. Morelli. Thank you for having me. It's great to meet you, or meet you again. I guess we met a long time ago, briefly. But. Yeah, I think um, I first met you in the cafeteria of Juliet. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> <laughs> I was quite jet lagged, and I think you reached over and gestured to the coffee cups and said, I think you are looking for one of these. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That sounds like me. <laughs> I think I think I didn't say I'd reply. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I read that you grew up in Long Island, yeah. and you actually started uh, your journey on the clarinet, saxophone, and eventually on the bassoon. Mm-hmm. And you were one of the first bassoonists to do a doctorate at Juilliard, right? Um, yeah, actually, I was you... the first. I was the first, actually. Yeah. But before that. The program wasn't so old at that time, and no bassoonist had been crazy enough. So uh, the distinction was more one of opportunity, you know. So, but yeah, I was the first. I see. Yeah. So you decided to. Um, what prompted you to pursue a doctorate, actually? Well, uh, I, uh, to make a very long story short, you mentioned the clarinet and saxophone. I took up the bassoon when I was in high school, American high school. Yeah, about ninth grade, so what is that, maybe 13, age 13, 14, you know, something like that. And um, my first intention was to become a music teacher, public school, what we call public school, you know, from up to grade 12, band director, like my band director. 
And when I started college, I went first for music ed for one year. Then I switched, <coughs> excuse me, down to the Manhattan School of Music. And that's when I met my teacher, my mentor, Stephen Maxim, and became his student. And after that time, I changed my thoughts about a career. Originally, like I said, I was going to be thinking of myself as a music educator of young, of children, of young people, young adults. Um, and so because I had come down to New York as a sophomore, second year, and then had my master's, I wanted to continue to study with my teacher, Stephen Maxson. And so the best way to do that would be to continue in school. And so the logical thing I felt, instead of a performance diploma or some post-master's, would be to work on a doctorate, get to study with my teacher, hopefully learn something, which I did in the program. And if I ended up finishing the degree, maybe it would be useful to me in my career if, if I were a university teacher, you know, college teacher. So that was the reason. And I wanted to stay in New York. And so I went to Juilliard. I was already at Juilliard. I continued there. I see. Yeah. You are very renowned as a performer and a pedagogue, right? Um, could you share with us, um, how do you bring out the best in your students and help them achieve their highest potential? Well, um, you know, uh, for me, teaching is uh, a collaborative effort. I'm not a teacher to just uh, telling students what to do and, you know, without discussion. Uh, in fact, I like to say to students and sometimes because, all right, at this point in my life, I do have somewhat of a good, I hope, good reputation. You're saying kind things about me. So when the students come to school, obviously they've heard of me or of my colleagues. So I'm, I'm going to New York to study with, you know, Frank Morelli, Judith LeClaire, you know, but in my, which is a great thing to do, uh, certainly to study with Miss LeClaire. Um, what I say to students in the first lesson, even before, is you're not here for me. I'm here for you. What do you want? How can I help you on your road to where you want to go? Now, that doesn't mean we don't discuss every aspect of playing. In fact, as I learned from my dear teacher, I like to break things down about breathing and you know, support, tone production, intonation, tonguing, vibrato, every, all of that, all of those things, however, are only a, a means to an end to artistic achievement. But to be an artist of the level that we aspire, one must be also an expert at their instrument. Right? And so, and what I, as I said, another part of this would be it should never be you go to your teacher and, oh, he was pleased or she was pleased with my lesson today, or she, he was in a bad mood. I don't come with a bad mood. I come to work. In fact, I come with a good mood because I enjoy teaching. So at the end of the lesson, I'd, I'd ask, I don't always ask this, but I would argue, are you satisfied with your progress? Are you satisfied with the lesson? Hmm. Now, if you want to put that all on me, I'd say, well, you should also look in the mirror. 
because it is up to me, but it's also up to the student. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very aware and want to be aware of what the student wants, what the student is trying to accomplish, what dreams you might have, what goals you might have. And I'm prepared to teach students uh, in what every, ever, whatever area they wish to pursue. But my own key, because I was extremely unsophisticated when I started out, as I said, I was thinking that I was a band kid from Long Island, a band nerd, you know, I'd say, ended up having a career I never dreamed about, never even thought I would even, I had no thought to do it, let alone I would accomplish it when I was coming into college years. But the thing I did know was that I could do much better than I was doing. I needed to improve myself. I needed to expand myself, my horizons, my abilities. And it was from that effort that the success came. So I try to motivate my students to realize this and to always work to improve themselves and to do it in a joyful way that you don't do this to come to your lesson and think, well, if I don't practice, Mr. Morelli's going to yell at you. And I don't yell at my students, but it's going to be angry with me. I don't get angry with my students. I would ask, that's the kind of motivation you need in your career, that you're afraid someone is going to yell at you <laughs> if you don't do your work. That's the wrong motivation. Your motivation has to be out of love, out of joy, out of your happiness to be surrounded by this music. And, and the people who are musicians, who are a very special population of people, we're very fortunate that way. We, we hang out with a really good crowd, as we say. Yeah. So that's how I try to inspire my students, that to the extent I can inspire them is with my own joy of what I do. And, and devotion, not always in my life, I'm not always a Boy Scout, as we'd say, but that you need to put in hard work mm -hmm. and you have to accept disappointments, things that don't come your way mm. and not give up. Mm. I've had many disappointments, mm. things that I hoped for that didn't come my way, but I don't regret that. That's life. You can't avoid that. I see. So, so I don't know. Okay. So take I hope it, it helps. Take it in your stride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have yeah. to, you have to. Okay. Um, could you name us some of your musical inspirations and influences? Well, I've already mentioned him a few times, but the person, the person who made the absolute difference for me was a man named Stephen Maxim. He was uh, the principal bassoon in the Metropolitan Opera from pretty much before World War II until the mid-1970s. During the war, he actually was fighting, but then he came back and luckily he survived and went back to the Met, left being on the convoy duty out in the Atlantic on boats, you know, in the Navy to being uh, in the pit. And uh, he was a great teacher and a very devoted teacher. And I was fortunate to be his student and knowing him really changed the course of my life. It, it sounds melodramatic, maybe, but it is a fact. It is a fact. 
And I think of him every day. And I certainly quote him every day in lessons. I'm always saying my teacher would say, you'd think he was still in the room next door. He is a different room next door. But but uh, he, he was by far the, the biggest influence to me. And then, uh, you know, I've, I've had musical influences. I mean, people, I, I, you know, great singers, you know, someone like Fritz Wunderlich, just, you know, um, hearing great singing and trying to emulate that singing is something that I've worked on throughout my career. And then the opportunity as I've had to, uh, to play with great players like, uh, oboist Heinz Holliger, as a, I mean, playing chamber music. And, uh, but by far the biggest musical influence for me, career bassoon influence for me has been, was my, and remains my teacher. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed listening to your albums, you know, like the bassoon Brasileiro uh-huh. and, and others, right? I, I feel that often it's, how do you say, there's, not a note out of place, you know, that's my, oh, thank you. <laughs> my uh, <laughs> opinion. Well, could, yeah. I, yeah, go ahead. What are you going to say? Could you explain um, how did you decide to make these albums and become a recording artist? Well, uh, the, uh, sorry, I was just distracted by something outside. Um, the, I was fortunate that for many years, all the records I made, were done, uh, many of them I was invited to play, you know, including Mozart Bassoon Concerto with Orpheus and Deutsche Grammophon, which was a great opportunity for me personally. And uh, I did not have to set that up. You know, I, I, I was invited to play many chamber music albums with Orpheus and other groups and, and contemporary music. I was engaged to play. Uh, and actually, the, the solo albums, like you mentioned, there were four of them. There's uh, the Baroque album I made called Baroque Fireworks. These are all almost scrapbooks for me. I started making those albums when I was 50, 5 hmm. uh, Before that time, like I said, I was very busy working, playing, performing, making over 100, at that probably time, 150 recording CDs, you know, more pieces, but like on that many CDs because people hired me <laughs> and I would play them. But I wasn't really developing my own thing, you might say. But when I hit around the age of 50, I thought, well, first of all, I've now felt confidence that perhaps I had something I'd like to share. Not just record things again, but... I wanted almost like a legacy, and by scrapbook, I mean playing with dear friends of mine and playing repertoire that I wanted to record. Now, often if you go to a recording company, in fact, I went to one and said I wanted to do this, and they started complaining about some of the repertoire that I wanted to record. And I thought, well, I'm going to do this on my own. I, I, um, I want to do this because I want to do it. I want to share this music because I believe in it. I want to play with these people because they're not only my friends, but they're great artists. So at the age of 50, I started out, and it was the Baroque album with two dear friends of mine, Oba with Stephen Taylor and Randall Wolfgang and some other dear friends, and my bassoon buddy, Harry Searing, many of you know from Facebook, and uh, the Brazil record. Those were the first two. And uh, I, I was in love with Mignone's music. You know, I have feel a kinship to him. 
because he's also an Italian-American, South American. Often we think of American, North American, but there are Americans from Antarctica, Antarctica to the North Pole. They were Americans. And uh, his parents moved to Brazil literally a year before he was born or less. So then uh, Mignone was an Italian Brazilian, but he embraced his new Brazilian blood and culture. And so I always loved that music, but I, in the waltzes especially, I could still hear a kind of Italian vocal quality that spoke very close to my heart. I'm a second generation. My parents were like Mignone. They were born in the Western Hemisphere. And of, so I'm the second generation. Mignone was first generation born in the new world, right? So uh, I studied that music. So, that, so I wanted to record that Brazil record because I love that music. And, and, and I also enjoyed the Villalobos the, uh, music. And I felt, and from you know, my heritage growing up, listening to Stan Getz playing jazz samba and bossa nova. And that to me was Brazilian music. You know, when, when Villalobos wrote his music, and I know from the older teachers in America and all that, they heard it as modern music. I heard it as Brazilian music, you know, popular music, music of the people. I don't mean pop music, music of the people. And so I try, and then of course, so the music of the people of Brazil, I am not Brazilian. I don't know that heritage personally. And of course, music of people who are, who came from Italy, you know? And uh, so I studied, I listened to many, 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 many hours of Shoro style on recordings mm. to, uh, you know, to try to understand if you're going to play Mignone's music, you have to understand the Shoro style, the Brazilian popular street music style. And I also listened to no the fabulous Noel DeVos recordings of that repertoire, not to copy them, but to learn from him. So he certainly was a student. I was actually, I was a student of his, so to speak, by listening. Uh, then the romance record and, and romance and caprice and the um, uh, from the heart recordings were done with a dear friend of mine, exceptional pianist, Gilbert Kalish. And the fact that he would record with me was a great opportunity for me personally. Hmm. And so on the Romance of Caprice record, I included my goofy Paganini 24th Caprice, which is very goofy, but I wanted to record it. And it's my own record, so I could do it. Some of the Rossini, Gebauer Rossini duets, which I have published an expanded version on Trevco, and Harry and I recorded a few of those. And then Schumann and Rachmaninoff and Weber, you know, other romance, I mean, from uh, romance and Caprice. So it was meant to be up to like the Elgar romance and Sansans, you know, even that's 20th century, but it's really neo-romantic music. Back to the beginnings, Rossini and Paganini at the other end of the time spectrum. And then From the Heart was basically, other than the Ravel song at the end, the Kaddish, which was very special to me because I had originally learned it, dedicated it after a dear friend of mine passed away in the performance. Um, I mean, the original performance were all pieces for bassoon and piano. Now, there's no transcriptions except for the Ravel, but all 20th century music. And I felt all 20th century pieces that spoke to me from the heart. 
And that's why I named the record From the Heart. Mm -hmm. And then recently, I did a crazy thing with the, the, the husband of a former student of mine, so it all goes back to bassoon, and made a jazz album. I wouldn't call my playing necessarily jazz, but in the proper style, I hope, and with a saxophonist, piano, bass, and drums, you know. And uh, we recorded the entire album in one day between 10 and 7 p.m. in Denver, Colorado. Entire album. You've made albums, so you know what that means. In one entire, day. One day. Whoa. Yes, <laughs> one day. But of course, when you record commercial, that kind of music, unlike our music, like classical music, where all the other CDs of mine were done, when you record that kind of music, we record in a concert hall or in a good acoustic studio, everyone in one room, right? Basically. Yeah. When you record this kind of jazz, and they were all playing jazz, you can call whatever I was doing, whatever, but they were all playing jazz. We each record in a separate room. Uh-huh. So you can edit and clean things up after that are not so easy to clean up Right? Like if you're playing with your pianist mm. and one thing you don't like so much, but then you have to make sure there's a, it, if you do a different version, that the pianist was good, right? On that take, right? Yeah. It's norm, yeah. normal. I mean, we yeah, go through yeah. that all the time. There's, that's yeah. how it is, right? So, but we recorded that jazz album in one day after we had had two rehearsals. Uh, and we recorded the entire album in one day. And the reason we could do that is I had spent the entire summer preparing for it and the saxophonist and I would send recordings of each other back and forth. So we were basically rehearsing without the band mm -hmm. and supposed to showing up to, well, now what are we going to do? We never would have got through it. So it was really prepared in advance, transcontinentally wow. between Denver and New York using technology. Oh, you know, really so efficient, yeah. Well, we had to be. Yeah, when you have yeah. one day, to, when you have a day to record an entire album, you have to be efficient. Yeah. Yeah. So, in other words, what I'm saying is, and that's why did I make that album? Because it was in my early years, I played sax, not really clarinet. I gave that up pretty early on, but saxophone. I mean, you were correct, but that was an early instrument for me. And I used to play back in those days in ancient times. I would play like in a trio, a restaurant or some party or, you know, like a wedding kind of thing on the saxophone and play dance music, old time dance, you know, Gershwin, you know, like dance music of the old days, a little bit of rock and roll thrown in, you know, because it was the 70s by that point. And uh, but that's so professionally, I made money on the saxophone before I did on the bassoon. <laughs> but but only only for a very short time. And not I wasn't a jazz musician. I was playing dance music. You know, I wouldn't I never call myself a jazz musician. I have too much respect for jazz musicians to call myself one, because I am not. I don't have their level of expertise and ex excellence. I don't. But I, I can play on an album like that almost more like as a vocalist than as an instrumentalist. And so that's what I tried to do. Mm -hmm. right? The point being, you said, why did I do it? Basically, the short answer would be because I wanted to. Because I love this music. I love the people. You know, going back to the Baroque, 
to pop, you know, to jazz tunes. Every piece on every one of those records, I absolutely believed in and adored and wanted to put them down as a legacy to share them. Mm -hmm. That was my motivation. And that motivation for me was pure for me, not motivated so much by business or trying to get ahead, but really more out of joy and enjoyment. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't always get to do that, but I was very blessed to be able to do that. Yeah, it sounded really like a fun and enjoyable album. Yeah, yeah, we just had a good time. Yeah, we did. Even the first out al- the on that jazz album, the first tune is "Happy Talk" from the South Pacific, and we put it first because it was happy talk, like we were having happy talk. You know, we're having a great time together. And the last tune on the album from uh, uh, the Oh, what's the name of that? The, you know, I could have danced all night. Is from uh, I'm thinking the original George Bernard Shaw Pygmalion, but uh, My Fair Lady, and um, I could have danced all night. We were implying we could have played all night. You know, mm-hmm. kind of life is good. We're Let's happy. See. Yeah. What does it mean? The Oxmo incident is okay. <laughs> all right, Oxmo. <laughs> is a play on oxbow the oxbow incident was a novel uh-huh. and a famous movie american movie with james uh um henry fonda i think i it's i was a kid when that movie came out it was a, a pun the oxmo keith oxman oxman the name of the sax player and uh-huh. mo morelli All right. so yeah, ah. so it's a joke. <laughs> and actually, the movie itself is rather sad, and there's uh, violence in it and things. So we, <laughs> I mean, it was a joke of a title, but it wasn't a happy movie, you know. So we'd I... like to think we'd like to think our record is a little happier than the movie or the novel was. But it was significant when probably Keith and I, the, the, uh, the sax player and I, we're kids, maybe, you know, so it goes back a ways. Oxmo is from Oxbow. Mm, I see, yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay. So just imagine if you just finish a concert and you've uh, driven home. It's really quiet at night. There's nobody around. What kind mm. of music do you put on to listen to? Wow. I don't know if I really listen to music at that time. I think I enjoy the silence just thinking about the day or about tomorrow, you know? Okay. Uh, and also, well, I could always put on earphones, but every coming home often from a concert, everyone in the house is asleep except me. So, <laughs> so I don't make too much noise. That's a good question. What music do you like to listen to? Uh, I, I, yeah, I listen to all kinds of, stuff i guess uh i love listening to great singing like i said like fritz von der Licke, or certainly uh people like uh, you know luciano pavarotti and, and great tenors especially being a bassoonist i find them the best inspiration for us yeah. um and i like to listen to some jazz or especially stan getz who who was a famous saxophone player who actually studied the bassoon as a kid hmm. so you hear it in his sound a little bit 
in his saxophone sound, I think. It, it tells his concept of how he wanted to play the tenor sax, uh, I think is somewhat affected by that. Uh, maybe that's why I didn't know it, but I loved that his sound and related it to the bassoon in some way, you know, later. Um, and uh, I'll be honest, sometimes I'll put on an old Orpheus recording and relive some of our experiences, enjoy hearing my friends and myself, you know, hearing us. We did some pretty nice albums. Mm. And uh, yeah, things like that, all different all kinds of music. Yeah. Great. Uh, my next question is, what do you enjoy the most of playing with Orpheus uh, Chamber Orchestra? Oh, well, every, uh, you know, the music making is great. Uh, uh, some of the happiest moments have been playing like the Mozart piano concertos. Because the late piano concertos have such great wind parts and they're great music. And when you play with Orpheus and there's no conductor, if you have a great soloist with you, it's like playing chamber music. And you feel very close to that soloist and to that soloist's vision of the music. And so to collaborate with a great player, a great artist, and support him or her in their vision of the piece is remarkable. It's really fun and, and, and uh, rewarding. And uh, one of our recordings I'm very proud of, it's pretty wild, it's like the Schoenberg First Commerce Symphony. And uh, we were young and we played fast. So it's a pretty intense recording. <laughs> and that, that to me, that kind of playing, we would play, I, I often say that Orpheus, especially in our younger years, we played like our lives depended on it, like a certain kind of, you know, we had something to say and we needed to say it and and uh, the deep commitment to the performance and to both leadership and teamwork to get all at once. Um, yeah, I was, and listening to some of my colleagues play so beautifully, you know, in while we're going along, just and say, oh God, that's beautiful. You know, just... Uh, makes me grateful to be there with them, that they allow me to play with them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, in your opinion, do you think it's harder to have a career now as a classical musician? Yeah, I would say it probably is. I don't think it's impossible. I think it's more difficult. I would say, uh, on, on the other hand, there are new technologies like you and I today on this conversation and of course youtube and you know the whole thing social facebook media. or yeah. social media as yeah. a as yeah. a as a giant uh, area now that classical music in america certainly and in the world i think even in europe where it had more although in in the east where you are um there are many many more people that seem interested in, in Western classical music, which is certainly a, a compliment to those of us 
who come from there, you know, but the music itself is very beautiful, but there's beautiful music everywhere in the world. But um, the, um, you know, American culture, such as it is, and I have my question about using culture and American culture, but um, there was more opportunity perhaps in the past, but it was much harder to connect with people because there was no social media. So what I believe now is, just like you're doing, you connect with this technology to the people that are interested. And so you can be more efficient about finding your audience. Mm -hmm. Whereas before, advertising and such promotion for classical music was out there with soup commercials and laundry detergent commercials and car deal, you know, car selling cars, whatever. And now, and you know, most, if you, if you try to promote yourself that way, you're going to miss the mark 999 times out of a thousand, or maybe less than that. Mm -hmm. But through this internet, through these interlocking opportunities, it is possible to develop and a career and uh and of course to a, it, on the other side of that is you know the standard routes of orchestral auditions or other job opportunities on a university level but many of my students have developed um careers outside the full-time orchestra as i did so i i think some students come to study with me because i was already living the life that is more common today, back when it was less common. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I created a, an entire career without having a symphony or position, mm -hmm. an a t or a teaching position. Mm -hmm. And it has made my life a little more complicated in terms of the schedule, but it has made it varied and uh, exciting, unpredictable. Okay? Unpredictable could be scary. It could be interesting. Mm -hmm. It's how you look at it and circumstances as well. So, um, but it is harder now. But uh, I, what I say to students, you know, uh, Orpheus, for instance, in, in, for instance, which for people listening is an orchestra that plays without a conductor. Mm -hmm. And at the time we started doing that, it was kind of not new in the history of the world, but newish for the time. How did that happen? Well, it's the early 1970s, the age of Aquarius, the, the end of Father Knows Best. That was a TV show, right? Mm -hmm. Of the older, we're still getting over this, but the older white man deciding, you know, father deciding everything, father telling you what to do, father taking care of you, the conductor taking care of you, right? Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Orpheus, although I wasn't there at the very beginning, the concept was we would be self-run. We would decide our own programs. We would choose our own players. We would interpret our own repertoire. Uh, that fit into this change over from the paternal style. Right Now we're in a new age, and you have all of that. You have the through the internet the ability to connect to world music in a split second 
to be in contact with music and musicians from all over the world, and the audience from all over the world. So your generation now, this time, has to invent its own, and is, its own, shall we say, Orpheus. And I don't mean specifically a chamber orchestra or whatever. Its own career. You, You are and you will, especially someone like you, who's young and has many interests in this areas, like you're, like we're talking today, you will define what music is. You will define what music is. And I think if you just try to copy what was, is not the best way to go. Mm-hmm. Copy what was if you want to. Mm-hmm. Take from the past and the present what you want to but feel free to reinvent. We're counting on you to do it. We're counting on you. Not, no, don't, I never did that, Joanne, you can't do that. No, that's not how we do it. No, you can't play that repertoire. That's not originally for the bassoon, you know, you shouldn't play that. Orchestra, you can have an orchestra with instruments from other cultures in it. No, you can't do that. No, that's not what a symphony orchestra is. Yeah. Right? If that's yeah. your attitude, you go nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, you you have such a illustrious and long career. <laughs> um, long now, it's getting it's pretty long because I'm an old guy now. No, 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 no. I don't mean that. Um, <laughs> I know. I know. What are some lessons you you would like to impart to future generations? I mean, I think you mentioned um, that you didn't envision any of this happening, right? No, no, I did not envision at all what I ended up doing. I swear to you, I did not. I would say, first of all, you have to, you really do have to be prepared to put in a lot of hard work and to do it over a long period of time. But you know, to be successful in any career, that would be the same advice, right? I mean, that's not only the music field. Mm -hmm. I think, as I've already said to you, what I learned, what I would suggest to people listening today is try to find what brings you, try to identify what brings you joy. What makes you feel alive as a musician? What do you do that you feel is, um, makes you happy to be alive? It makes you feel that this is what I was meant to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, allow yourself to be think think freely. Allow yourself the opportunity, perhaps, to change course or to drop something that you thought was an idea, but it doesn't seem to be working, or you, you know, that or what for whatever the reasons are. You have no interest. Something new that interests you now, um, and that's allowed. You're allowed to do that, but don't do it just offhanded. Try to see, try to understand that these are things that matter to you. And as much as we like to satisfy our parents, our teachers, our mentors, don't do things because you think you should. I have to get this kind of job because people define that as success. Now, I started out, once I left going to be a band director 
and studying at Manhattan School of Music and Juilliard. I'm thinking, I'm going to, like my teacher played at the Met, I'm going to get a big job in the orchestra, like Papa, my music Papa. Mm -hmm. I had lovely, wonderful parents. They're gone now, of course, but so Mr. Maxim wasn't the father I never had, but he was my music Papa, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I didn't get his job, when I didn't get some other jobs that I didn't, I went, I auditioned, didn't get, at some point in my life, and you say I've had a good career and all that, I had to think to myself, have I been a success? Do I consider myself a success? Because I had to, in a way, reorient my thinking from people think you should play first bassoon in this orchestra or that, or a second bassoon, doesn't matter, but have some big job. And, and... But what do I think? The fact I didn't achieve that is a failure at trying to achieve that goal, but am I a failure? Have I had a good career? You know? So uh, in the end, I decided, yeah, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I'm happy with what I've done. And while, you know, we have some regrets, there are things I could have done better. And there are opportunities that I did not, didn't come my way and let, left me feeling sad <laughs> at the moment. Uh, I'm proud of what I've accomplished. And I can tell you, as I say to people all the time, I feel really, for the most part, that I haven't worked a day in my life wow. in the way of, you know, of work, like going to the job and signing in and whatever. Really? I have, yeah. Even I practicing? Love Oh, uh, practicing is the nice part, especially now that I'm older and I have more time for it. Well, now I need it more, too, so I make sure I don't get any worse. But uh, I find practicing, you know, even when the, I'm going to have to leave pretty soon, but yeah. when uh, when the pandemic first started, I started making some recordings on Facebook, you know, put up on YouTube, Facebook. And at first, the sound wasn't so great. I was learning. I'm using my phone. I tried to figure it out. One reason was I felt I needed motivation to keep playing. I wanted to connect to people if I couldn't perform for them in person. And I wanted also to be hopefully a good example for my students to say, all right, we have hit the wall. But that does, you know, with COVID, we hit the wall. Let's face it. The world hit the wall. Mm -hmm. Now we can either give up or we can go forward. We could either just do nothing during this time and wait for the sun to come out, or we can work now and be ready when the sun comes out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. And so that's my philosophy. Wow. Okay, so I have two last questions. Yes, ma'am. Before you go. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. If you could choose, what would be the theme song of your life? The theme song? Yeah, this is just a fun question. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, geez, I don't even know. Uh, 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 well, <laughs> all you need is love. Ba -ba -da -da -da. Maybe the Beatles tune. I'm not going to come up with some highbrow Bach chorale or something like that. But life is beautiful, you know, uh, it's probably a song name, Life is Beautiful. But uh, it's a wonderful world. You know, something, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, what's that great song that Louis Armstrong used to sing? I see fields of green, you know. Uh -huh, uh -huh. That's my life. 
that's been my life. What a wonderful world. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Okay. I was just going to say the Godfather because I saw this video ah. <laughs> of your students playing the Godfather. Godfather. Yes. In bed, yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. A long time ago. It's a surprise. Yeah. We've done it since. Yeah. I mean, I'm of Italian heritage. Yeah. I'm a big guy. You can't tell from me yeah. sitting yeah. here, but I am yeah. a big guy. Yeah. And so, uh, and things like the Sopranos, you know, the, that show and the Godfather yeah. movies. And, uh, so in some ways I almost resented that sort of stereotype, but then I realized it made people a little bit afraid of me. And I thought, well, this works for me too. <laughs> a little bit of an intimidation factor. Cause the fact is I'm a total pussycat. You know, even if I look a little bit like one of these guys, Hey, what are you doing? You know, it's not quite, it's not quite the truth in my character. But uh, and it's a loving yeah. But the kids do call me. Some of my students call me the Godfather. They do. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. This is my very last question. I yes, promise you. What would you like to be remembered for? You talked a lot about legacy in this interview. Uh, well, I hope that that I, when you said about notes not being out of place, I that I really that my goal was to sing through the instrument. The instrument is your voice. And to do my very best to bring that out in my playing, my inner thoughts and feeling. And, uh, you know, if people say that his, his playing could be like the voice, then I would consider that a great compliment and something to be remembered by. And I would hope my students, and I think they know this, know, know that would remember that I was dedicated to every one of them and believed in every one of them and care for every one of them. No special, no teacher's pet, as we say in English, no. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, mostly, hopefully I was a good dad and husband. <laughs> that would be the best part. <laughs> wow. And a, yeah, and a good son. You know, although my parents are gone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was really inspiring. I felt I was at a master class. You know. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I hope I hope it was useful. Yeah. It was fun to speak with you. Believe me, I appreciate okay. your giving me the opportunity. Thank you so much for your time. We You're welcome. And if you have enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe or share it with your friends. That would mean the world to me. Thank you and goodbye.